That's right, Spookies. It's time for the Arts Report on CITR 101.9. Halloween edition. Tonight on the Arts Report, 5 p.m. CITR 101.9 FM and CITR.ca. We have the Vancouver International Improv Festival, the UBC Players Club, Our Country is Good, and at Arts Report Extra, we have Adam, Christian, and Lara from Closer. And we get a little bit of Halloween this week, um, but a lot of comedy. So if you are a little bit scared of Halloween, if you're down because it's outside, maybe you're not going out tonight, we will cheer you up with a little bit of Halloween humor. But first up, we have uh, two weeks in a row. How exciting. The UBC uh, Arts reporter Nicole Kai is here uh, to talk about Our Country is Good, which is put on by the UBC Players Club and plays from tonight, October 31st, till Sunday, November 4th. And uh, Nicole, you're going to give us a little uh, a little information on the Players Club and the play, and you also have an interview with it. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, the UBC Players Club is actually the forerunners of um, theater, the theater department at UBC. Um, but now it's it is separate from the theater department, even though they, um, uh, I would imagine they, they share a lot of members. Um, but yeah, um, at the UBC Players Club, there's students from other faculties and there's community members as well. Um, so the the show that they're putting on right now is called Our Country's Good, and um, it's basically about building strength and dignity in the convicts that were um, exiled to Australia in 1788 through the production of a play. And so it's basically a play about a play, and it's directed by MFA directing candidate Chris Robson, and he's going to share with us some of the challenges about creating a play with uh, a big cast, relatively speaking, and um, how the experience of live theater can be new and exciting for many, as it demands more than just a passive audience. All right, so we have the first part of three parts of an interview uh, by Nicole Guy. Even the theater department very rarely does shows with this many people in it for two reasons. One, costumes. We have gotten costumes together from several different sources, and it's been a real challenge just to get the authentic-looking 18th-century costumes. They look really great. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, it really helps a lot. It helps the actors that they get a sense for... For example, the military uniforms, you know, they, they inform you of a certain way of moving and walking and standing and sitting, and it, it really gives them that extra amount of authority and, and um, you know, presence. Um, there's that, but also for the audience, right? You know, because as you can see, we don't have much by way of a set. 
um, the set pieces are carried on and off, like tables and chairs and that sort of thing. So really, the, we're, we're painting the scenery with the actors themselves. So that's why we're going for that level of authenticity in the costuming, uh, in the makeup as well. Um, and, uh, you know, the other thing is that there's a message in this play about, about imagination, right? And audiences need to use their imagination. And, and so for a 21st century audience, they're used to watching movies and TV where they don't really need to use their imagination. It's all spelled out for them, right? I think this is something that, you know, people are, when they, when they get to watch something like this, it's a, it's a new experience for a lot of people. And uh, just to contextualize uh, their conversation, they're actually at the theater at the time. So you hear the people mm -hmm. working in the background because um, you saw a rehearsal, right? Yep. So, um, so the other thing is, this is a true story. This actually happened. Uh, and it is a true story. So started to play the second clip there. But why don't you give us a little setup uh, for the second part of the uh, interview before we start playing it? So Chris also liked the fact that um, the play came from a true story. And... Um, and I guess through um, <laughs> through retrospection, you can see a lot of truth um, that might not have been seen at the time. Even the theater department very rarely does shows with this many people in it for two reasons. One, costumes. Well, you know, it really helps a lot. It helps the actors that they get a sense for, for example, the military uniforms. You know, they, they inform you of a certain way of moving and walking and standing and sitting. And it, it really gives them that extra amount of authority and, and um, you know, presence. Um, there's that, but also for the audience, right? You know, because as you can see, we don't have much by way of a set. Um, the set pieces are carried on and off like tables and chairs and that sort of thing. So really, the, we're, we're painting the scenery with the actors. The other thing is, this is a true story. This actually happened um, in 1788. All these convicts were shipped down to Australia to form a new colony. And um, they, the morale was so low that the governor, uh, Captain Philip, and these, most of these characters are actual historical figures, that he realized that two things could be accomplished, that the troops could be entertained and kind of help them to be reminded of their family and their home back in England, but also that the whole purpose of being together for the convicts was to feel a little bit more dignified and feel like they had a sense of belonging. You know, and that um, that they could have an, a sense of accomplishment that they wouldn't ordinarily have that opportunity just being slave laborers in the in the penal colony. So um, it's a remarkable chapter in the history of Australia. Captain Philip himself is um, quite honored in Australia. There's a town named after him. There's monuments. There's streets. There's libraries, etc., all named after him because he really believed that education and uh, compassionate reform were the way 
to turn Australia from a prison colony into a real society. Um, so, you know, we get to see in this play, this is the turning point. This is where it all began, so to speak, right? That a new civilization was, was formed. Yeah, I see a lot of empowerment, for sure. Just through the characters and then all the way to society. Yeah. And the women characters are very strong, too, you know? Um, I think that there's that there's that exchange where um, the woman says, oh, I could never play such and such a character. Oh, yeah. And the other woman says, yeah, but that character never spent eight months in a boat the way you did, right? Um, and I think that, you know, that hardship that these convicts have gone through, it really was character building, so to speak. It really gave them strength, you know? Um, the character uh, Sideway, for example, did, in fact, form the first ever theater company in Australia. And um, so it's, it's, it's fascinating, I think, from that perspective of knowing that, that this was a real historical uh, thing, you know, it really happens. And of course, it's also very entertaining in that it addresses the very nature of theater, which is of necessity, it's artificial, it's fake, but people use their imagination and they get caught up in the, the human truth, you know, in the truth of these characters and, and the, what they're experiencing as it happens. Okay, so that was a, a little bit about truth and a little bit from the previous clip as well just in case you didn't hear it the first time and and tell us a little bit about this this last uh, comment that that he has so um he talks um he talks about this really really important message that the play is also trying to convey which is um seeing the intrinsic value and potential in people lovely okay You know, there's another message in this play, and I think it's something that audiences will take away, is that, well, you know, we treat people the way we see them, and everybody is more than what we see. Every person is inside has so much more potential, um, potential for good, potential for expression, and, and I think that's part of the thing that these convicts want to be in this play to say, See, I'm more than what you think I am. There's more to me than just a, a thief or a, a you know a, a, a pickpocket or a, or a forger or something like that. There's more to us than that. So I think that's a very positive message too. Um, something that a lot of people can relate to. All right. So that that was uh, the director of uh, Our Country Is Good from the UBC Players Club. So I think there's also a, a bit of learning to be done while you're watching the play. Um, its historical context gives um, um, appreciation and elucidation to, as to how our society, or not necessarily ours, but Australian society came to be. And as well, it's actually pretty entertaining. Um, there's a variety of elements to it. Um, there's a love story. There's a comedy. There is some his serious historical drama and there's also music so in all in all it is quite a, it's a bit of a spectacle i'd say um so there's one show each night that, um at 7 30 p.m starting from tonight to saturday night 
And there's also one show on Sunday at 1 p.m. It's at the Dorothy Somerset Studio on UBC campus. And it's $6 for Players Club members and $12 for non-members. And if you want more information, you can go on their website, uh, ubcsplayersclub.com. And that's it. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, once again. And, and you'll get a break next week, and then we'll see you again in two weeks. Yep. Thanks so much, Nicole. All right. Well, we are going to take our first break of the hour. And when we get back, uh, we'll, hopefully we'll be talking to Ariel Fournier, who visited a art show in Riverview Hospital. And for those of you who might not know, uh, Riverview Hospital, um, and I'm sure I'll get emails correcting my exact timeline, but it was an asylum, good old-fashioned asylum, and then, of course, later a psychiatric hospital, and um, eventually was shut down due to lack of funding. But um, it is a place of great urban legend some say it's haunted um and so it's our own local in coquitlam it's our own local kind of scary story so there was an art show called dark and wounded and when we get back we will talk a little bit about that but for now we're going to have a brief break and we'll maybe listen to a little uh halloween music when we get back stay tuned CATR is proud to sponsor the 17th Amnesty International Film Festival taking place November 2nd through the 4th at Pacific Cinema Theater in downtown Vancouver. The festival will show nine films from around the world which will highlight a variety of human rights matters and will include guest speakers, the presence of other community groups, and ways for the public to take action on said matters. So come join in on one of the biggest human rights film festivals in the country. For more information or to buy tickets, you can check out www.amnesty.ca slash VFF. CITR 101.9 present Triple Ween at Fortune Halloween Night. $10 tickets at High Life, DIPT, Red Cat, or CITR to see Teen Witch, Falcons, Surreal Harm, Killing Time Quartet, Boha, Woe Bangs, and Based God. Don't miss it. The ghosts will come get ya. So that uh, Trip O'Ween is actually happening uh, tonight. If you are interested in a little bit of uh, CITR madness at Fortune Sound Club, we will be there with a photo booth. Um, we will have uh, tables and lots of information about CITR, which I know that you're excited about. But more importantly, there's going to be drinks. There's going to be uh, rad electro music and uh just for a little sample i'm going to put on a mix from uh little miss rave by teen witch who is one of the featured uh spinners at 
the event tonight at uh, Fortune Sound Club. So enjoy Little Miss Rave by Teen Witch, and we will be right back. Stay tuned. Why do you hate me? Because you're ugly. We are back, CITR 101.9, and we uh, just were listening to uh, a little bit of Teen Witch, Little Miss Rave, and they're going to be part of the Tripoween event tonight, 9 o'clock, at Fortune Sound Club, and we will be there in force, uh, the student executive, uh, our programmers, and most importantly, yours truly, Megan Thomas, our instructor. So we have one of our uh, established arts reporters, he, not just with CITR, but the city. And uh, we are uh, going to talk a little bit about a show called Dark and Wounded. And I uh, introduced Air, uh, the, a little bit Riverview Hospital, but Ariel, if there's anything you would like to add about how creepy it was to be there, 
it's Halloween, so prepare to get scared is all I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to confirm it was very creepy. Uh, I can definitely say that. I, I went up there on on the Saturday night, and we had to drive out, and it was really miserable and rainy that night, as it is a lot of nights, and I never go to Coquitlam, so that was a whole new <laughs> scary Tri-City experience. <laughs> and yeah, so it was like really, <laughs> the roads were slick. The night was dark, setting the scene a little bit, and then uh, we arrive on the grounds of Riverview, and there, I don't know if you've ever seen, so yeah, they use them for filming all the time, Uh, they've used tons of X-Files episodes, Dark Angel, if you recall that hit television show. Who doesn't? Uh, The uh, Jennifer's Body, the movie, the other movie that the person who wrote, oh my god, what's that name? Anyway, it's a really bad movie, with with Megan Megan Fox. With the inestimable Megan Fox. Ooh, yes. Um, anyway, so I was at the Inestimable. Wow, can't do it. It's uh, a hard word. Riverview Hospital. Um, yeah, and it's kind of legendary. And when I uh, typed it into Google, the autocomplete uh, wrote in haunted. Yeah. So it's probably haunted. Well, if Google says it. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Um, and yeah, it was truly, truly creepy. We went in. So the the premise of the Dark and Wounded show is I'm. I'm think you went over a little bit is just that it's about dark and wounded people it's sort of about the the parts of society and human nature that we prefer not to look at so it's in it's a, a series of oil paintings and not all the canvases were up but a series of oil paintings that showed the darker parts of humanity so there was a lot of gruesome stuff dismemberment but there was also just stuff that was haunting and then you're in this darkened mental institution and it was very unsettling and uh tell us a little bit about the artist the artist is a little bit from him yeah we will hear a little bit from him the artist's name is james picard and he's a vancouver painter he actually teaches at emily carr but he splits his time between vancouver and la and uh he has been working on this project as part of a he started doing these canvases and he didn't have anywhere to put them he was trying to bring them to galleries and they found them too weird and too disturbing so he was just amassing all these canvases that had all these horrible (laughs) representations on them and then he decided to put them together into a series and so now he has been going going to go on a tour where he's going to go to dark and wounded places and then show this to people so it's it's meant to be kind of a, a bit of a solitary experience the gallery wasn't that full and when you go to the you go through the gallery and then the last thing you see is there's a mirror and then you go up to the second floor and then you just kind of wander through the mental institution so it was pretty affecting actually but yeah here um if you if you want to play it i just uh had a little chat with him after and there's a bit of the sounds from the gallery there's some music playing um there was some really i mean it's you can't go see it now in vancouver it's now going to be traveling around so i don't want to tantalize people too much almost but I mean there were some really really moving pieces there was some of the most affecting were some really kind of they had this like sort of cartoonish quality to them there was uh, a really interesting portrait of someone uh, with a gun to their head that I thought where it was sort of mechanical and it kind of had this futurist feel to it and there was then there were some that were much more abstract there was sort of this shadowy figure and you just sat in a room alone with it so a lot of things that are seem to play on on people's fears in a way as well. Absolutely, and, yeah. You know, things that have actually happened to many yeah. people. There was a scary clown. Don't worry. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, as long as there's a scary clown. Okay. Well, let's listen.
listen to James Picard and Ariel Fournier. It feels like this whole place, this whole building feels very comfortable for me because I feel like I've, I've been here for the last year painting these paintings that are from a similar place. It's kind of funny. It's, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it reminds me of that dark place that I went to when I went to paint them. I find it kind of peaceful here in a way, in a bizarre kind of way, just because I think it is a place that um, I don't have a lot of fear of it. It's a unique place. It's dark and wounded, but I think we're all dark and wounded. All of us, humanity is. And so I've been wandering around, and I mean, there's some people crying, there's some people hugging me and thanking me, and, you know, there's people like just, it's, it's, I'm interested to see, because everyone's being interviewed up on the top floor, mm -hmm. on the second floor, so I'm interested to see what a lot of people say, but I know that when they're coming in, they're going very excited, a little nervous, and they're coming out, and they're all blown away, so it's pretty exciting. Yeah, and I've been painting, I mean, some of them I was working on, like, I've been working about 22 hours a day for the last two weeks, so pretty long hours. Yeah, but That's good. It's worth it. I got a month to sort of round up everything here and, you know, go into the editing room and everything and then head down to LA. There's the Linda Vista Hospital, which I got into down there, which is, uh, these are all abandoned in ho abandoned hospitals, warehouses, uh, prisons, anything that in society is we consider dark and wounded. That's where I want to go. Now, Ira, you can confirm that people were very moved by the the setting and the the pieces. I can indeed confirm that. Okay. Um, I uh, I think that. Well, I yeah, I can confirm that I was pretty moved by by the setting. I've never you can't. It's really hard to get access to Riverview. They were able to get it because they because they were filming in there mm -hmm. and because they do filming so regularly but it's very expensive to rent out you don't often get access and but it is it's very very affecting and some of the canvases were really truly beautiful um as well as disturbing and uh yeah i think that it was it was very solemn for sure as you go through it it's a bit spread out but yeah it's a little funny when there are these moments kind of like classic gallery moments but then you're all being very serious and sad in a mental institution. But then you're like, oh, look, a tray of cookies. <laughs> I'll, I'll take a few. I mean, it would be rude not to. I mean, as any arts reporter knows, cookies and cheeses of various kinds are, like, the best part of going to a show. Yeah, for sure. I, I got to eat. Yeah. So. We're volunteers, people. Yeah. Like, we have to eat. We're not making money off of this. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Ariel. And you're going to stick around, right? Because we are going to spend uh, the last part of the arts report, which is uh, about half an hour, uh, talking about um, the Vancouver International Improv Festival. However, I wanted to take some time first to make a few announcements about some of the events that we have coming up that we did not get a chance to cover this week. And we'll be done by next week. So sad. So uh, first up, now CITR is sponsoring the Amnesty International Film Festival from November 2nd to 4th at Pacific Cinematheque. It's the 17th uh, interna uh, International 
Film Festival for Amnesty International. And uh, the festival showcases nine films from around the globe highlighting you know, human rights issues, freedom of expression, water, food rights, environmental rights, indigenous land issues, and women's rights. Um, which, and all of these things are, of course, all of our issue and all of our rights. There'll be guest speakers uh, as well as um, some community groups will be presenting 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 one of those two things will happen and uh, we'll be informing the public on how they can take action on human rights issues so please uh, come and join us anytime if you would like to get tickets or check out more information you can go to www.amnesty.ca slash vff we also have the south asian film festival Entertain, engage, embrace, educate, inspire. And that is happening uh, from today. They are uh, launching the first, that means inaugural, uh, festival. And you have uh, films from all over the world, all over the uh, South Asia, not all over the world, but all over South Asia, including some local films. So there's uh, films from Afghanistan, uh, Bangladesh, Bhutan, India. Maldives, Nepal, uh, as well as Pakistan and uh, Sri Lanka. And this is an opportunity, uh, as they mentioned, not just to uh, see some amazing films, but also to uh, learn a little bit about uh, South Asia abroad and also here at home. There are uh, a number of local films included uh, from some Canadian Filmmakers, um, and including uh, the man who stole the Taj Mahal and uh, Mali Mal, and uh, hopefully uh, this will be a very successful film festival in the future. Uh, we have a really diverse and amazing um, community of South Asian peoples in uh, Vancouver and the Lower Mainland, and they will be filming. Uh, they will be screening films from October thirty first to November fourth in Vancouver, Abbotsford, and Surrey. So please go to www.safcanada.org. That's www.saffcanada.org for more information. And uh, as you can hear, a very serious trailer. Um, there are also some uh, conversations that look really interesting, uh, including one with uh, Ujal Dussange. Another festival that is uh, happening in its 16th year um, from November 1st to 4th is uh, the Vancouver Asian Film Festival celebrating diversity in film. Uh, you can check out information at www.vaf.org. And uh, they have uh, some interesting lineup. Uh, the closing film is called White Frog, which is a coming-of-age story with uh, about 15-year-old Nick Young, played by Boo Boo Stewart. Usually I don't go over it, but Boo Boo Stewart, you guys, no? no. He's like, okay, so Boo Boo Stewart <laughs> is um, from a family of people with names like Boo Boo, and he is kind of like a teen heartthrob. I, 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 I have, I think, I think he's in one of the the Twilight films. If you, you see where I'm going with this, he has abs. Um, but this is the Canadian premiere, and that will be the closing film on uh, November fourth. And uh, so that is. Uh, it has also won an award at uh, the world premiere in the San Francisco International Asian American Film Festival. 
And I think that uh, both San Francisco and Vancouver have really, again, really diverse and strong uh, Asian cultural communities. So that should be really interesting. And I always am interested in seeing Vancouver and Canada and the world from a point of view that I don't usually get to access. So I always encourage people to take those types of risks. Um, the other thing I would mention, um, going back to the South Asian Film Festival for one more minute, is they're actually doing this really cool um, memory project. And people can submit written or um, filmed uh, memories about South Asian film. And as they say, you do not have to be uh, of South Asian descent or um, to submit a memory about South Asian film. And as it's their inaugural festival, I'm assuming they're looking to build kind of a repository for South Asian film in Vancouver. So definitely check that out. Okay, so that brings us to uh, talking about the Vancouver Improv Festival. And uh, we have our arts reporters, uh, Ariel Fournier, Annie Jones, Mm -hmm. and uh, Rohit Joseph, and myself. We all went to the Vancouver Improv Fest this year. Um, So I thought what we could do is start out uh, talking a little bit about the festival. And I know that Annie did uh, a really cute uh, interview with um, uh, Late Night Minivan. Now we're going to play later the clean version of this, um, and we'll post the R-rated version online. It's really only about 30 seconds that could have gotten us in trouble, but um, it's, it's, it's pretty in trouble. So welcome, you guys. Hi. Hello, hello. All right, so let's 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 go in chronological order. All right, mm-hmm. so um, Rohit and Annie, you both were there on Monday night. Yes, and that's you correct. both you both saw the first show. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, first of all, I just want to give you an idea of uh, what we were going into, like the vibe of the whole place. Uh, Performance Works in Granville Island is a it's a nice cozy atmosphere. When we got there, it was just you know it's not stadium seating. It's just just regular chairs just set up and there's a stage and it it really reminded me of uh like high school again but also kind of like it, it is a very communal atmosphere like you feel intimate like just going there because you you can see the performers and they're talking right at you and uh it, it's small and it's uh you know it's it's just welcoming uh what, what do you think annie like we kind of had the same thoughts about yeah, that right? yeah. yeah i definitely thought it was a very intimate setting um he, yeah really close to the, to the performers and it's just really simplistically set up and um it really sort of provided a great platform for improv so the first uh half that i and which i was able to see on that night uh was the showcase spectacular and uh that featured an assortment of uh improv people from all over the world and uh they actually were not in groups, uh, formal groups, like, at this point. Like, this was just a bunch of individuals who are meeting for the first time and doing improv together for the first time, which is, to say to say the least, like, quite admirable and quite difficult and challenging because these are not people that have, you know, done it for years and years and have established themselves. They're meeting for the first time and making scenes right on the spot, right there. It was kind of interesting because the night we went, it was the same thing. And I don't know, did you guys notice that it took a little bit of... It was kind of interesting to see them hit their stride after yeah. a bit? Yeah. Was oh, it yeah. the same yeah. thing? 
Yeah, definitely. And um, did you guys, did they have two sets of troops that did yeah, something? I, yeah, I found, did you find one troop did a better job with that than the yeah. other? Because that was true of This ours. is what yeah, I would say for, for the part, I, uh, for that first showcase, right? Like, there were two groups. Um, I thought the first group in my, in the night we saw Monday night, they did the short form improv a lot better. Yeah. And then uh, the second group, they, 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 you know, they were trying to pick it up with the short form. It was not working, not working. But then their long form improv, which was like this one big scene that was set. Like somebody gave the suggestion, Hall of Mirrors. And uh, from Hall of Mirrors, it went into souls and like escape. And like somebody's soul escaped them because they couldn't see their reflection in a mirror. And they tied it so well into a bunch of different scenes that branched off that they redeemed themselves a really well like with that with that uh, long form improv sequence so i'd say both groups in that showcase in the first showcase were you know they were good at their uh, at different things and maybe it just took a little bit of warming up for that second group but they really picked it up with the long form improv yeah definitely completely agreed it's funny because, like, at improv, the emotional stakes are so high because uh-huh. you mm-hmm. want them to do yeah. so and well. This is, and when they it. don't, it hurts yeah. you. Like, yeah. there's, there's so much tension on the stage when it's improv. Like, you don't get there with normal theater because, yeah. you know, they're well rehearsed and everything. But So once it comes together, it's just this beautiful thing. Yeah, it, yeah you are. It's truly like those movies where you actually connect with somebody and you're like, yeah, I want the good guy to win. Like, these are all people that, you know, you could just see that they're ordinary people just like you and I, and then they're trying to do something that you and I would definitely be really scared to do, right? So you, Hey, 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 speak for yourself. No, just <laughs> <laughs> it looks terrifying. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, like, certain certain games were tougher than others. Like, I mean, certain setups, like, should have said was pretty tough. Like, an audience member can call out should have said at any moment... And they'd have to, you know, rephrase their line and make it something completely different. Like, I, I noticed that one was tough for many of the improvisers. But again, it's seeing that challenge and seeing them actually work through throughout the night and conquer these challenges that that are set out in front of them that, you know, it's really inspiring. And, it's, and it makes you even more supportive. You, you just, yeah, you, you never feel like uh, you're against them at any moment because it's all, it's very genuine, right? It's... At least I should hope that no one feels that way. I think it's, I mean, there's always such thing as a bad audience. But I think I heard from a lot of performers at the night I went to and in um, some of Annie's uh, work as well that, you know, people feel like Vancouver's a pretty improv-friendly town, like in L.A. or Toronto or something like that. Um, Annie, do you want to tell us a little bit about the second set of the night? Uh, So the second set wasn't really, like, two troops. It was um, more... Uh, groups of established um, improv artists who have been touring around places and they're quite experienced. Um, I think there was about five or six groups and I would say that um, the highlights for me were definitely Late Night Minivan, uh, Duo Tone and Virginia Jack. Um, I actually did an interview with Late Night Minivan, which is coming up later. Um, but Duo Tone were Glef, uh, sorry, Jeff Gladstone and Chris Caslin mm-hmm. and uh, they... Uh, had an electric guitar, an acoustic guitar, and they took a suggestion from the audience and turned it into a um, series of short skits um, surrounding that, um, which had started off with a song from the suggestion, which um, was very, very, very entertaining. Um, The suggestion was actually uh, a polar bear, and they turned the song into Bipolar Polar Bear, and then they ended up going on, like, 
um, a hike and um, coming across crazy polar bears and <laughs> I feel like bipolar polar bear is something that if someone wants to whip that together for Halloween tonight that would be yeah, that's a, a very great good costume you, idea what would be the Thank aesthetic you, of that or you have, uh, you're welcome as it's always. like a two-faced kind of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah you could also just have like you could just like be sad like you could have some pills mm. you could be like ma- like maybe throw a little mania in there exactly I still don't have a costume but I mean now I do but you have now, now I have a costume as well I feel like the polar bear part is like tricky do you think you can Could pull that together in like a few hours i just put put a little nose little little white ears and then just like a bottle of pills right yeah sure <laughs> and like a big white you blanket don't i don't know why my costume <laughs> i feel like you should probably wear some sort of sign uh as well <laughs> to no, sure. I mean, the right fun there. of it making people guess your confusing costume or you could like do duchamp you could be like this is not a bipolar polar <laughs> <laughs> Okay, are so you calling me bipolar? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, do you have? Are there any other stand-up uh, yeah. performances? Uh, the other one, which was probably my favorite of the night, was uh, Virginia Jack, mm-hmm. and um, these are a couple of ladies from. Um, they oh. are. They are from uh, Vancouver. Vancouver. Yes, that is right. Nicole I Passmore and Brianna <laughs> Rayner. Yes, and they were very, very, very good. Just they clicked so well together. Um, I think they've been doing improv for quite a while, and you could definitely tell that they knew what they were doing um they just asked for a setting from the audience which was the uh tunnel of love which i thought was a very interesting setting um, <laughs> and uh they started off by describing the place really setting the place up um telling you there were rose petals floating through the water and the tunnel was red and pink the colors of love and um you really got a feel for the place and then they created three characters um which were played by just the two of them so um, they would each each switch between um, all the characters and you could see them developing them really well. There was a nerdy girl, um, this buff, arrogant guy who was working on the, um, on the boat for the Tunnel of Love and then there was a girl who was trying to apply for a job there who had absolutely no social skills whatsoever, couldn't read social cues. And, um, yeah, they just really went for it and uh, there was so much tension and lots of great one-liners um and you could see that they were having such a great time the the entire time as well looking like they're about to crack up why don't you tell us a little bit about late night minivan and that'll lead us into your interview yeah uh late night minivan is a troupe of performers i think we've been going for about two years and uh it consists of lauren cockrum uh aaron murky cameron mcleod graham myers brian cook and jeff ferguson and they did a bunch of short form stuff um based on uh, short-form skits uh, based on three suggestions from the audience, which were clowns, happy meals, and monsters, which is probably very Halloween-appropriate, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, And, um, yeah, so I caught up with them afterwards and had a bit of a chat about what they were doing. Lovely. Let's listen in. So where are you guys from? Oh, well, we're kind of from all over. Yeah? I'm actually, I live in Port Coquitlam, so outside of Vancouver, which is where my theatre is. So this is like a treat for me to come down and perform here. How far away is that? Uh, 45 minutes. It's oh. not too long. Just 45 minutes from here. Oh, that's not too bad. You don't know Pork or Quillum? Can't say a thing. It's all right. Don't worry about it. It's, it's nice. It's nice. It's nice. It's actually very nice. a microphone. He's actually very nice. He actually works out of a second story theater, which is a great little theater. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah, they did, uh, they did a set tonight as after we did uh, Lena Minivan. All right. Those were, a- I let them. I was like, go oh, do your thing. Come on, babies. 
Hi, and Lauren is from... Yes, I'm from Calgary, Alberta, uh, originally. Oh, cool. Yeah. Quite a way from here? Um, it's not. It's about a 12-hour drive, so yeah. it's in Alberta. It's not far. It's and nice. I'm from Winnipeg, Manitoba, and that's half of Canada away from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you guys... Um, so are you involved in the theatre scene here much? Uh, yeah, yeah, for the most part. Aaron and I right now are living in Winnipeg, uh, doing shows and working out there. But we subletted our apartment, so we are Vancouverites, but we're okay. <laughs> we're we're on like on timeout right now and yeah. <laughs> freeze uh, awesome. until until May. So. Well, so, what got you guys into improv? I sucked at sports. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, that's honestly what it was. I was an awkward, gangly, tall kid that was had no friends, was nerdy and weird. I got up on stage and I realized when people laugh at me, it makes me feel good. So I was like, well, that's what I'm going to do. And I started doing that. Um, a teacher from high school, I was working, I quit university and started working in the mail. And she was like, you want to chaperone some kids to Chicago to learn some improv? And I did. And I got asked to study there. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I was uh, silly in elementary school and I had a really cool teacher in sixth grade who would let me do improv uh, games and like freeze tag and stuff on Friday afternoons if I was good all week. That was my reward. <laughs> so she was bossy and loud. I was, <laughs> Aaron wasn't there, so he can't really say, but um, <laughs> I I was strong-willed is what I like to, to strong-willed. To, yes. My mother says I was bossy until I got what I want, which is fair, I think. No. <laughs> I, was a, I was a decent student. I just, my teacher was great, so she let me do that. So how do you guys come up with this sort of stuff? Like, is it a hell of a lot of practice or... Do you feel like it's something that you're born with, or? Uh, there's a little bit of both, I guess. Big, big question. Um, I think you have an admiration for comedy, and you're really uh, shit in the beginning. <laughs> um, and then you learn what works and what doesn't work. And we were just talking about that, like when you're teaching students, you can say all you want, but it's until they actually fail, do they actually succeed and learn it? Yeah, you and have so to definitely try. It's a lot of yeah. I know that sounds really deep. It's, it is. It's it's just. Yeah, and it's it's not for everyone, right? Like, there's people that just like doing stand-up, and it's like a lot of improvisers don't do stand-up and a lot of sketch, and so it's it's a lazy man's art where it's like, I want to do something, but I don't want to try too hard. And <laughs> well, so that's, that's where you get really yeah, good you, at you it. You try really, really hard a long time, and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, uh, I compare it to martial arts, you, you yeah. throw a thousand punches, so then when somebody throws a punch at you, you punch them in the face and don't even realize how you did it. Right. So you have to like work it a million times so that then you just forget about it, and it becomes like muscle memory, and you just fucking do it. it. Yeah. You do it. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Zen. That sounds cooler. Yeah. That's improv nerds. Like <laughs> 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 improv. Do you guys have like comedy icons that you look up to at all? Or I got like... started like not that it's embarrassing, but I got started because of Mike Myers. Oh. I, I worked with Mike Myers as a teacher, and that was a big reason why I got into improv. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You guys... I look up to you, Aaron. Well, thank you. Even though you're taller than me. I am a lot taller Jokes. than you. Jokes. More attractive. <laughs> uh, I came from a funny family, and I don't think they realized they were funny a lot of the time. So, like, my grandmother and my mom and my dad, actually, everybody's pretty silly. So that was my first influence, I think. Why is Cam funny? Why is Cam funny? Yeah, why is Cam funny? What? He's doing mime right now, you can't see, because it's, it's radio, awesome. but he's miming one heck of a windstorm. He's making a death <laughs> ring, and uh, it's crazy. Uh, let me just describe it for you. Uh, I'm uh, uh, performing a mime where I undo a banana and then pop it up into the air, catch it in my mouth, uh, and swallow it whole. And then uh, as I do that and I'm rubbing my belly, it falls under my ground. I slip on it. 
and then I fall down and I hit my butt on the ground, and as soon as I hit my butt on the ground, the whole banana undigested shoots back out of my mouth. It's something to see, guys. Really. That is pretty awesome. We're yeah. chewing yeah. Yeah. Back in the time, I was looking to <laughs> 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 Maturity wins. <laughs> I came in late again, and I'm sorry. That's because you came from the shower. You left the water running, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What? Huh? Well, who is oh, this guy? This is this is the uh, who is my influence in comedy? <laughs> my dad. KPR. My dad tells a great story, and that's the most important thing in comedy is the story. Brian Cook is the Pat Sajak slash Danny DeVito slash Alan Parsons project of slash Ali Sheedy. The touch of Ali Sheedy. Yeah, he's a very Ali Sheedy esque. Brian Cook is the Danny DeVito and Rita Perlman of the world. He's his own. He's his own best man. Oh God! Um, yeah, thanks for talking to me, guys. October in this quarter. Get the scoop on Vancouver drone pop artist White Poppy. Have a chat with comedian and host of Talent Time at the Biltmore, Paul Anthony, and learn more about the local pop band Fine Times. Reminisce with them as the magazine takes you on a blast from Discorder Past discussing censorship, the CRTC, the PMRC, Public Enemy, and Ice T, the original gangster. Then, Pack your bags as they take you on a quick trip to the East Coast to follow Halifax band Nick Everett and everybody. Look out for the art feature recapping Swarm and the Oleo Festival, the news on West End DIY Space, Googly Eyes Studios, and Film Strip with Cartoon College as there will be an interview featuring Jason Sumpano, one of Vancouver's own. Wagwan, me virgin, drop it like it's art, a Snoop Dogg art show, you don't know. November 9th at the Fall Tattoo and Art Gallery, 7 p.m. till 2 a.m. in the morning. Currently accepting submissions for the show, all mediums accepted. Needs to be submitted by November 1st, we're running the show for two weeks on a stray. Artists receive 100% of sale on opening night, you're taking home all, all, all your money. Please email a copy of your award for submission to quickanddirtycollective at gmail.com. Sponsored by CITR 101.9 and the Arts Report. I'm a nice dude with some nice dreams. See these ice cubes. See these ice cream. And we are back. So thank you very much, Annie, for getting in touch with Late Night Minivan. And we will put up the... You also talked to another, uh, the Troop One from the first night, the ensemble. Three people from there, Connor, Lauren, and Rod. So thank you for your time, and we will uh, put that up on Mixcloud so you guys can listen. And, uh, yeah, there's a really funny kind of dirty joke at the end of the uh, the first interview that I wanted people to be able to choose to listen to. They are so warned. Um, so I thought what we do is we'll talk a little bit about the second night that Ariel and I were at, and then we're all going to pick a performer that we really liked to give a shout-out to. Um, so I'll just recap. So on Tuesday... 
we saw two international ensembles do uh, Teen Angst. So Sarah Bino, uh, and I, I apologize, but I forget the second uh, performer's I name. Oh, yeah, she was another improviser, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. And so she. From Winnipeg. From Winnipeg, yes. And she. Uh, so Sarah Bino did some of her Teen Angst poetry, and this is something that she's been doing for years now, where she reads these. Uh, poems and stories from her childhood and her teen years and they are hilarious as are most people's poems and stories from their childhood and teen years and then what they did is they turned them into sketches so uh the first one i think the second troop was probably with the songs was more successful like they picked more aspects yeah, the, I, like kind it didn't of the, go the as thread wild. sort of made a little more sense it was a little less disjointed but they were still both of them were very funny but it's true that definitely there were parts in the first one where I was like, I couldn't really remember why it related anyway. Yeah, like there's a poem and they use the phrase to die, 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 die. And then that went to a murder house. Yeah. And then that went to ghost. There was a ghost curtains. Yeah. The ghost curtains were great. I mean, he was hilarious. Those ghost curtains were funny. Yeah. But I was like, how does that? Just to be clear, someone portrayed the ghost curtains. Yeah. And they were literally, like, it was talking curtains. <laughs> um, and then in the second set, they did uh, some songs, some teen angst songs. And uh, again, they did sketches. And I think those are some of my some of my favorite of the night. Um, and then in the second show, we had Hip Bang, which is uh, Devin and Tom. Uh, you may remember Tom from his portrayal of a bear on our Vancouver Fringe Fest live broadcast. Gave a lot of really good advice about being a bear, so please check that out. It is podcasted. And they were really funny. They had the term majestic, and then they just... Riffed on it for about half an hour. Went for it. They were knights. They were peacocks. Uh, you know, a lot of... a lot of uh, th- Those guys are quick on their feet, and they obviously are really comfortable working together as well. But I thought we would spend a minute just talking about Dot and May, Delusions of Grandeur from Regina. And it's 1947. And Dot and May are birds of a feather. There's these, there are two nurses, basically, uh, in an old-timey hospital. And uh, as the show begins, they pass out these clipboards asking people for, what was it? Their... For something that they're passionate about, their name and something they're passionate about, and uh, that elicited some good answers. I'm I'm impressed by. It seems like it was the same at your show. I'm impressed by the the level of suggestions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they seem like good jumping, really great jumping off points. Yeah, and it and could just be that they're funny after that. So maybe I just think like maybe I'm just like retroactively giving the audience a lot of credit because I'm like, wow, yeah, yeah those sketches you're were giving very a funny. lot of credit to the audience when you should yeah, you have to say like. <laughs> Yeah, the improvisers okay. end up making it work. But I Winnie agree. The like Pooh. Winnie the Pooh was one of the suggestions, which <laughs> yeah. really like that could have yeah. gone wrong. Yeah, it, it could. It could go right or wrong. You know, it's it's really like I, I'll agree with that. Some audience suggestions are better than others. You know, it's just there's there's definitely that an element involved there. Yeah. Maybe I'm getting a little too excited, but I like uh, rugs. It was a great way of doing it because it really it fit in with the theme. What I liked about them is that, you know, some of my favorite uh, comedians and, and improvisers, they really like will like point out when they made a mistake and they're really all over the place and it's the kind of humor that I have and that I like in my friends. But these gals, my word, as they would say in that sketch. Um, so there was yeah, this first level of uh, them being nurses and improving uh, together about different scenarios. Um, uh, you know, choir, drinking, drinking at choir. Because um, it's 1947, so they're Catholic. Um, and then, then they would uh, get these clipboards back and then go into a character. 
and describe the character. And it was, yeah, it was something I'd never seen before, and it was really funny and well acted. Really so, it was like this whole world, like every every time they did a scene, you were like, it was like so engrossing. I was like, this is, I completely can picture this person. Like, I feel like I have this backstory. I feel like, yeah, like this whole universe where it's totally par for the course that this man is aroused by by being on rugs. Oh, yeah. Like, the suggestion and then everyone was rugs. comes to town. And, Passionate like, about rugs. It was rugs. this whole thing. I was like, man, like, I really, I really felt for that rug creep. Like, <laughs> just, like, it just seems so plausible. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, yeah. Are these suggestions then, like, they, they still keep with the setting of 1947? No, they, well, yes. Well, yeah, the, sort the of. Feel That's of what it. I'm wondering, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's, uh, the, there's the, the top level, and then in the next level, um, they're doing these character studies, mm-hmm. and then once they kind of flesh out the character, they're kind of playing, they're tagging in and out of this character, and then once they flesh out the character, one of them goes into a narrative. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, Rugman, he, et cetera, et cetera, and then they, <laughs> they play out a scene, and then they go into that scene, and then they bring it out again, wow. and at no point do they lose the thread, and it's, so the, it, it sounds confusing, flowing. but you yeah, totally no, flow. Yeah, you're totally So I think, um, I mean, I, we are going to run out of time, so I thought we'd all just, let's just pick real <laughs> quick, maybe those were your standout performers, Ariel, or who sure, was Sure, yeah, I'll take them. I mean, I, um, I, I was, as you know, I was quite stressed about yes. this part of the broadcast, um, because I really have trouble <laughs> picking the favorite but i i do think that yeah it's i don't think i've really seen improv like that before mm-hmm. and it was pretty compelling so yeah um yeah shout out to dot and may and uh, i think uh, as i uh inebriatedly told annie o'connor and uh her partner levin o'connor of now uh that yeah i think she was my favorite now in the second uh event of the teen angst night in the in the first kind of half of the evening um they were doing this whole thing. They were all been doing these, uh, you know, different interpretations of these songs. And she would like walk by. She did like a recurring character, mm. which like set it in high school. And uh, it was it was really funny. I thought she was really stand out. Basically, she was a mean, popular girl. Yeah, that added to the realism of every high school scene. <laughs> Get out by of here, theater nerds. <laughs> yeah. she My was high fantastic. school wasn't like that. But I guess <laughs> I had a happy childhood. <laughs> Well, that's really nice. <laughs> um, also, I hate you. <laughs> I also was quite impressed when you were talking to her how she said that she she is a full-time improviser. That is how she Getting that living. improv money. Yeah. No, and so that's it can be done. That's lesson learned. Damn. You just be a real improviser. And what about you guys? Um, well, I thought Virginia Jack would definitely the standout performance of my my Veef experience. Mm-hmm. But um, there was another guy, Rod. Who, yeah, I believe. Uh, that was actually my favorite as well. Rod Benziva. He's from Amsterdam, I believe. Yes. Yeah, he was phenomenal. Just to give you a brief reason of why I, I, both me and Annie agree he was good, because uh, in one scene called Smells Like a Song, he was in the dentist's office, and he was in the chair. He was the patient. And then some. as soon as it got to him, like somebody said, Smells Like a Song, and then he had to sing in a muffled... You know, like, because you like, can't talk when you're the dentist, right? So he, he, like, mumbled, muffled, gibbered a whole song. And it and it sounded good. It, it's hard to make that sound good, but he made it work. So mm-hmm. it him crazy. and, I guess, Emmett Hall for the excellent piano playing. Uh, he was at your uh, night, too, yeah, Emmett Hall, yeah. right? Yeah, he's, a, he's a, a piano standard improver from Vancouver, and you see him everywhere because he's very talented. And he adds that kind of uh, poetic, kind of comedic 
points on it. And sometimes he does it ironically. And so it's to a point where like people kind of have to change what they're doing. So he so he really actually interacts with the scene like an improver through the piano. So uh, it's, again, something that I've never seen anywhere else. I'm sure exists, but with my limited knowledge. Well, guys, um, we're going to wrap it up. We're a little bit over time. And uh, we're going to do a little spooky stuff. Oh, so spooky. I want to thank uh, Annie, Rohit, and Ariel, as well as James Picard and Late Night Minivan for uh, for joining us this fine, rainy October 31st Halloween evening. And coming up, we have uh, a half hour with Adam Janusz, as well as uh, Lara and Christian from the upcoming uh, presentation of Closer by Shift theatrical society so please stay tuned with us uh, after the official arts report ends and I thought I would lead us out with a little bit of the theme song from one of my favorite scary movies as a kid It by Stephen King (laughs) good choice (laughs) 